we ended last time uh, about talking about Alexander Campbell and the Brush Run Congregation, uh, Brush Run Church, uh, and uh, that's a that that name we talked a little bit about that. Brother Joe would ask the question, "Well, what kind of church were they?" And that's a good question. <laughs> it really is because uh, they weren't hardly the New Testament church, but they were working their way toward that. And they were doing, uh, in in my estimation, a good job coming out of denominationalism, and it took them a little while. But anyway, they had joined up with the Redstone uh, Baptist Association, and there were some problems. Uh, They didn't like the way that Alexander Campbell was preaching, and uh, he preached uh, the one... uh, uh, well-known sermon on uh, the law and talked about the differences between the old law, the new law, <clears throat> the uh, the covenants, uh, the purpose of them, and uh, this the main fact that the old law is no longer our authority today. No part of it. No part of the old law. Anything that the old law taught that we adhere to today has been taught in the new law. Uh, for instance, uh, nine of the Ten Commandments. People say, well, we still observe nine, nine of the Ten Commandments. We don't, des- we don't observe any of the Ten Commandments, period. Nine uh, laws of God that were upheld in the Old Testament were taught as a part of the gospel in the New Testament. So it's not any part of the old law. It's 100% the new law, the New Testament. <clears throat> of course... Uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't like that, so they sought to exclude uh, Campbell from the association, and so some of those who were enemies of his went about politicking and uh, gathered up some people to be on their side. But <clears throat> this brings us up to where we are now. However, Alexander Campbell, understanding what was going to go on, and to the astonishment of his plotters. When the uh, uh, association met, and they were going to uh, <clears throat> kind of throw this on him, spring it on him at the association, he was not named as one of the messengers to the association. He wasn't one of the hierarchy from, uh, from his congregation going to that Redstone uh, Baptist Association meeting. And so that kind of thwarted their, their plans a little bit, and they couldn't attack him as one of the leaders of the Brush Run Church. And so that messed them up just a little bit. And, uh, but uh, he, uh, they weren't going to stop there, though. They weren't going to stop there. It did keep them from uh, excommunicating him. They used those terms. And uh, they wanted to uh, crush his influence by uh, making him someone who was not in good standing. But they weren't able to do that. And so uh, uh, a motion then was made. For him to be seated in that body. And you see how any of these man-made organizations, they're very political, right? When we read about the seating of messengers or what they mean is delegates, right? And I think they use those terms more today. Delegates to the convention or delegates to the association. Uh, they invited him to a seat in the body. His enemies, of course, opposed it, 
And uh, they demanded to know why he had not been sent as a messenger. Why wasn't he sent as a delegate? Because they wanted to be able to attack Alexander Campbell and excommunicate him. Well, uh, he told them, he said, well, after it came around to it, he said, the church of which I'm a member, not a part of the Redstone Baptist Association. And uh, what had happened, uh, he had foreseeing the problems that was about to rise, he uh, decided to ask the congregation to give him a letter of dismissal and along with about 30 others, and they were going to go over to the Mahoning uh, Association, who, uh, which was further away, and start a congregation there. He'd been wanting to get over that way anyway. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, uh, over in that area... Uh, where uh, he would eventually go. His father-in-law had a, had a farm and had the mansion, which is now known as the Campbell Mansion. And he was going to move further west, but his father, father-in-law encouraged him to, say, to stay and said, if you stay, I'll give you my mansion. And he went and lived somewhere else. And so <clears throat> that's a pretty good deal. And uh, I don't know if... Uh, if you've ever been there and you've seen the, the, the grounds and the mansion, it was a very good deal. And so, uh, and, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that to disparage Campbell. I don't think there's a thing wrong with that. I personally wouldn't do it. I wouldn't give my son-in-law uh, my mansion and my farm, but hey, <clears throat> you know, Alexander Campbell had a, had a father-in-law that's a little different than me, and so uh, uh, they did that. <clears throat> and so... Uh, this uh, this Mahoning Association within that was a man by the name of Adamson Bentley. Adamson, A-D-O-M-S-O-N. And he had been encouraging Campbell for a long time to leave the Redstone Association and come there. And so uh, <clears throat> this, this little town where they were, where uh, he was going to go establish this uh, congregation, was called Wellsburg. Wellsburg. And so that's what they did. And they formed there, and they continued to meet in that spot afterward. And so we see how, <clears throat> I believe through providence, it's just my opinion, that uh, Satan was not able to use his messengers, use his, excuse me, use his workers to somehow hurt the reputation of Alexander Campbell. And he was able to continue to go on and do the great things that we know that he did. Any comments? Questions? <clears throat> well, yes. When when do they? Uh, well, that is a wonderful question because right before this, there was a little debate, a little problem that arose. Okay, there was a question of uh, finally the idea of baptism started kind of working its way to the top. Now they weren't this congregation over in Wellsburg that uh, Alexander Campbell and 30 other established, along with his father-in-law, who had become a member of Brush Run, but now obviously uh, was over there closer to home, <clears throat> they still weren't the church, okay, because they, they still didn't understand the requirements of entrance into the church fully, okay? And so here's what... Uh, now, the Baptist Association, obviously, uh, according to their name, they believed in immersion, right? They believed in the type of 
And I say type of baptism just simply because of uh, uh, the way it's used in the religious world. Full immersion. Obviously, they believed in that, hence their name. But the other uh, denominations in the area, they were still sprinkling their infants. Okay? And so prior to all this uh, <clears throat> dust up within the Redstone uh, Baptist Association, Campbell engaged in his first public debate with a man by the name of John Walker. Okay, John Walker was a seceder Presbyterian preacher. And he had uh, kind of gotten into an argument or a controversy with a Baptist preacher by the name of Birch, B-I-R-C-H. And so they were uh, arguing back and forth on the purpose, or not the purpose, the mode of baptism, <clears throat> okay? And obviously, uh, Birch was saying you had to be immersed an adult. And uh, Walker, <clears throat> excuse me, Walker said that uh, he was defending sprinkling infants. And so at the end of their kind of little problem they had, Walker uh, presented a challenge to any Baptist in good standing, he would meet them in oral debate publicly. Well, they've got to looking around. They were trying to find someone. Of course, again, this is prior to the uh, Redstone uh, Association get-together. and uh, But keep in mind, the people still appreciated Alexander Campbell. It was the hierarchy within the association that didn't appreciate him quite as much as they should have. And so as they began to look around, they, they decided that, well, Alexander Campbell was their man. He was the one who would meet Walker in debate. Well, Birch went to uh, Campbell, and Campbell said, no, I'm not really interested. And he didn't give, him a, he didn't give a definite answer at that time, but uh, he, he, uh, uh, he just didn't say yay or nay, but he wasn't really interested in doing it, not because of any issue on his part. <clears throat> it wasn't that he felt he couldn't do it properly, or that there was something wrong with public debate, it was his father, Thomas Campbell. Thomas Campbell did not believe. In fact, let me see if I can find his uh, uh, statement here. Uh, Thomas Campbell said public debates, or he did not believe public debates, the proper method of proceeding in contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. But, now let's think about his background here. What debating was usually going on among the Presbyterians? What had he seen? Now let's go back in his history. Remember he saw the, the Methodists fighting with the Baptists and the Presbyterians upset and they were, they were fighting back and forth about their articles of faith, right? They weren't really debating what the Scripture said. And so he was influenced with this uh, trouble and conflict but it wasn't over what the Scripture said. And so Alexander went to his father, and he encouraged him and began to talk to him, and he said, uh, I agree with you. that What we have seen in the past, in essence, I'm paraphrasing, what we have seen and witnessed in the past was not good for anybody. But now we're talking about defending the truth of the Scripture. And so it was then that Thomas Campbell agreed to uh, uh, be able to uh, uh, go along with his son. And uh, so he did that. Now, 
they arranged the details, and uh, the the uh, uh, debate was set for uh, June the nineteenth, eighteen twenty, in a place called Mount Pleasant, Ohio. Okay, so they met there. Walker came to the podium. He he didn't have a whole lot to say, but what he said was this. <clears throat> he said uh, it began on that on that morning. He said, "I do not intend to speak." A, long at one time, perhaps not more than five or ten minutes, and will therefore come to the point at once. Now let's listen to how he's equating uh, uh, infant baptism or pedo-baptism is what it was referred to with uh, the Old Testament law and why it's necessary to do it in the new law. He said, I maintain that baptism came into the room of circumcision that the covenant on which the Jewish church was built and to which circumcision is the seal is the same with the covenant on which the Christian church is built and to which baptism is the seal, that the Jews and the Christians are the same body politic under the same lawgiver and husband. Hence the Jews were called the congregation of the Lord and the bridegroom of the church says, My love, my undefiled is one. Consequently... The infants of believers have a right to baptism. What he's doing is he's equating baptism with circumcision under the old law. Now, there's a whole lot of problems there, right? First of all, Campbell had already preached the sermon on the law, right? We don't live under the Old Testament law. Of course, we understand that, but that's what they're pulling for. And since since we still have some authority... Under the Old Testament law, he's saying that the Jewish congregation or God's people and the church are the same body. Okay? I don't know where he got that, but he certainly didn't get it from the New Testament. But having said that, circums- or, or uh, uh, baptism is a right that infants deserve to have. Okay. Well, we're not going to agree with that, but we're going to talk about that. Now, I think Campbell did an amazing job. Now, notice what his response was. He said that the pedo-baptists or the infant baptizers, they didn't even act uh, as if they believed themselves that infant baptism was true. Of course, you know, I can just see the jaw drop open of, of Walker. And then he went on to explain why. He said, since, in point of fact... They did not put baptism in the room of circumcision. They, they're not really equating baptism with circumcision because uh, they don't confine it only to males, right? Uh, they don't extend it to servants as well as to children. And you know what else they don't do? They don't perform it on the eighth day. So just because someone decides to say, okay, I'm going to equate, uh, this equals this, it has to line up or the equal sign's not going to work, right? You have to do it the same way. And uh, uh, they don't baptize. I don't know of any group that baptizes a child at eight days old or sprinkles a child, rather, at eight days old. Now, among those, he, he stated some truths. He said that uh, uh, circumcision required a physical descendants from Abraham, Right? Nothing spiritual, but baptism de- demands faith in Christ as its foundation. 
the, uh, the confession, the one that Paul spoke about in Romans 10 and the one that the Ethiopian eunuch stated in Acts chapter 8. He also said that baptism was different uh, from circumcision in the nature of the blessings that occurred. See, that was a big point that he made. What you've got is spiritual as opposed to physical or carnal, right? The, uh, what was the purpose of circumcision? It was a sign. It was an outward physical sign of the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel, His people. Can you see an outward sign when a person is immersed in water and becomes a Christian of the New Testament church? Do they look different? Uh, they, may, they behave differently, right? You can see the results of it, but as far as their outward appearance, there's, there's no difference, right? So that's a big difference. And uh, uh, he stated that baptism is connected to the promise of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout this debate, everybody recognized that Alexander Campbell had the best of this fella, Okay? But let's talk a little more about this, uh, the idea of baptism uh, being able to uh, be uh, uh, used in effect uh, to sprinkle infants or whatever, because that still happens today, right? This argument is still made today, this kind of argument. Have you ever heard a, a denominational person say that baptism is an outward sign of my inner faith? What does that equate to? Circumcision is an outward sign of the faith that individual has and the covenant under which they live uh, with God, right? So let's talk a little bit. Let's look at a few places. Let's notice Romans 2. I'm going to read verses 25 through uh, 29. Romans 2, beginning with verse 25. <clears throat> For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not the uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee? who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of them but of God. Now what Paul's talking about, is when we look in Romans chapter 3, of course, the whole idea of Romans, and we had this class not too awfully long ago, is how do we, how do we stand justified in the sight of God, right? And so when he uses terms like referring to someone, he's not a Jew outwardly, he's a Jew inwardly. What he's talking about is he's using that to stand in for the child of God, right? He's talking about spiritual, spiritually being, uh, you know, uh, God's people. Spiritual Israel, that's used in the, in the Bible a lot, right? Talking about spiritual Israel, Paul does it a lot in Romans. And so what he's talking about, and when he made that statement, he's quoting from either Isaiah or Ezekiel 1. 
They say about the same thing. Isaiah 52, 5 or Ezekiel 36, 20 through 23. But the Jews, you see, they were not keeping the law like they would have liked people to have thought they were keeping the law. Okay? Uh, if you have an outward sign that you are uh, a child of God and you maintain that outward sign, what does anybody know as far as the inward parts of you? The mind. They don't know anything. They, they know what you tell them, right? And so that's what the Jews were doing. And Paul's saying, no, that's not correct. And uh, so, and we're talking about this because they're trying to equate circumcision with baptism. The Gentile could see that the Jew was not living properly, right? That wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't hard to do. If someone obeys the gospel and there's members of the church who are doing things that are not according to God's laws, that's pretty easy to see that, right? They're out running around doing no telling what, and we know about it. Well, it's not hard to determine, well, that's not what a Christian ought to be doing. And so these Jews were seeing that. Yet, or the Gentiles were seeing that, yet the Jews kept maintaining, well, we're circumcised in the flesh. We have, we have an outward sign that says we are uh, the children of God. And so uh, Paul's saying just because you've been circumcised doesn't give you a pass. Doesn't mean you can you can do just whatever you want to do, and so uh, I think uh, Campbell obviously was correct when he said that circumcision was a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God because circumcision was put into place long before the old law came about. So that was a covenant between God and Abraham. Okay, throughout the Old Testament period, the patriarchal law and the, Jew, and the law of Moses, that stood for a sign of the covenant. Well, when the new law came about, it's a spiritual law. Not that the Old Testament's not a spiritual law, but it's not a spiritual law in the sense that the New Testament is, okay? They were focused more on the outward uh, uh, ceremonies and things like that because they were being taught the, uh, the, the damage that sin can cause in the world. And so uh, the, uh, the circumcision had turned to uncircumcision for the Jew, okay? Because we're in a spiritual place, right? What, what did Paul say is circumcised? We're circumcised of the heart, right? And so uh, uh, when, uh, when a person obeys the gospel today, it's because they want to, right? That's a difference between circumcision and baptism. What can a child have to say about circumcision? Not a thing, right? What can a baby, uh, can a baby somehow inform his parents that they want to be uh, baptized? No, they can't even speak. They can't speak, right? They don't know how to talk yet. That's the difference, right? When a person obeys the gospel today, first they do it because they want to do it, right? and because it's a matter of law, right? And when he talks about it being spiritual, not a letter of the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law. That's what they call the Old Testament, right? We're under the law. We're under the, the New Testament law, the law of Christ, the law of liberty, right? And so uh, uh, when a person obeys the gospel, we do it because we want to, because God, we love God because He loved us first, John said, right? And so he's making these arguments trying to equate the two when they're nowhere near the same. It's apples and oranges, right? 
And so, uh, uh, but we need to keep in mind that it is, uh, it is demanded by law. Now, we're not going to read Colossians 2, 6 through 15, but write that down because this is, helps drive the point home. I believe this is probably one of the texts that Walker misused in his effort to equate circumcision and baptism physically, okay? Uh, circumcision, here's one thing. Cir- what did circumcision do? Did it do anything other than uh, demonstrate a covenant between Abraham and God? That's all it did. How did circumcision affect the individual sins other than they broke the they, they uh, uh, broke God's law by not having it done. But that's the only way it affected them, right? Did circumcision take their sins away? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They had to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice under that old law. And then when Christ died on the cross, their sins were taken away. So he's equating. Uh, now, of course, no one at this point really understood taking sins away related to baptism, okay? But uh, when, uh, uh, when uh, uh, Campbell made that statement that baptism was for the remission of sin in this debate, that was the very first time publicly, and this kind of goes back to what we're talking about, when did that church become the New Testament church? That was the first time he had ever put the two together publicly. But did he still did he truly understand? I think he was still missing it. I think he was looking at it from the point of uh, strictly an argument. Okay, I don't think he was putting together the economy of grace and baptism for the remission of sin. So he's still missing it. Okay, but. We see how close he is now. He stated publicly that baptism was uh, related to the remission of sin, the promise of Abraham, the promise of the Holy Ghost. And I think that's what uh, uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost is. I think it relates back to the promise of Abraham in some way. But at any rate, they're not there yet, not the New Testament church but they're working their way to it. Any comments? Okay. Uh, as, uh, again, as the discussion continued, people understood that Alexander Campbell, head and shoulders above his opponent. But there was an issue. Uh, a lot of the Baptists kind of... Uh, like any man-made religion, not that concerned with the, the, the goings-on, uh, the everyday happenings within the organization, okay? They believe what they want to believe, and they'll leave it up to everyone else to take care of the, any kind of issues or problems, okay? So a lot of people just kind of ignored this. They knew Alexander Campbell. Uh, they knew that he had been chosen to uh, represent them about immersion as full-body immersion, Okay? Uh, but uh, there were a few that really appreciated. In fact, one man made a statement. (laughs) I don't know if this came back to get him a little later on or not, but one man uh, in the area made a statement saying, Alexander Campbell's done more for the Baptists in uh, in the West than any other man ever had. You know, 
Well, I think that Alexander Campbell would have referred to himself, and we're going to notice here in just a few minutes, as a Christian Baptist. Not in the sense of uh, the Baptist as a denomination, but a Christian who has been immersed. Okay? Now, we don't read about Christian Baptists in the New Testament, right? But he's making his way. He's getting closer and closer to where he needs to be. <clears throat> now, uh, at, the, at the close of uh, this uh, debate that he had, he was so convinced at this point that that was the way to uh, evict truth to the world, he made a statement. He said, I this day publish to all present that I feel disposed to meet any pedo-baptist minister of any denomination of good standing in his party. And I engage to prove in a debate with him either orally or with the pen that infant sprinkling is a human tradition and injurious to the well-being of society, religious, and political. Now that was a calculated statement. That was a calculated statement on, on Campbell's part. And he wanted to be able to put himself in a position to defend the truth. And from that time forward, he was always prepared to be able to answer not just a false teaching on infant baptism, but any of the other false teachings that he had discovered through a study of the Bible. He was always prepared. And it kind of reminds me of what Peter said. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lives within you, right? <clears throat> and so that's what Alexander Campbell did. And not only did this debate defeat error on that day, it also brought Alexander Campbell to the understanding that the press can be a powerful thing because they printed the debate. And it was disseminated all over the place. Thousands of copies of that debate were sent out uh, in the area, and so it, it brought great notoriety to Alexander Campbell. And I don't think for a second that's what he was searching for. And when I say great notoriety, I don't mean it in a, in a, in a bad way, but it brought attention to him and to his cause. And from that point on, he, said, he uh, uh, strove to do something even greater. He saw the impact that that had, and so he wanted to be able to do some things that would bring even more people uh, to the, to the uh, knowledge of the Scripture. And so, and this gets back to kind of the Christian Baptist moniker, in the spring of 1823, prior to that, he had spoken with his father, he had spoken with some other close friends of his, and he decided or was thinking about the idea of a monthly publication. Okay, so in the spring of 1823, he put out what he called a perspective for the, the work which he wanted to call the Christian Baptist. That was a periodical. Now, he also put out another periodical that we're, that we're usually more familiar with, and, and Preston just happened to come into possession of the whole 40 years worth of it. What's the name of it, Preston? The Millennial Harbinger. Man, he told me that and my face just dropped because I wanted it. But anyway, 
he, his first periodical was the Christian Baptist, okay? He's still he's not really putting it together, but let me, let me read to you a statement that he made, and we're seeing that he's getting closer and closer. <clears throat> In it, he clearly stated this. He said, The Christian Baptist shall espouse the cause of no religious sect excepting that ancient sect called Christians first at Antioch. Its sole object shall be the eviction of the truth and the exposing of error in doctrine and practice. The editor, of course being him, acknowledging no standard of religious faith or works other than the Old and New Testament, and the latter as the only standard of the religion of Jesus Christ, will intentionally at least oppose nothing which it contains and recommend nothing which does not which it does not enjoin having no worldly interest at stake from the adoption or rep, uh, rep, reprobation of any articles of faith or religious practice having no gift nor religious uh, emolument to blind his eyes or to pervert his judgment he hopes to manifest that he is an impartial advocate of the truth okay every one of us would agree with that Every one of us, we're not going to hold any kind of a denominational doctrine. We're going to uh, speak where the Bible speaks. We're going to be silent where it's silent. But he's still not getting it. What's the name of the periodical? The Christian Baptist. He still is not really putting it together. But to his defense, I don't think he's looking at that as a denomination. He's looking at it as the mode by which Christians... uh, participate in as far as baptism goes okay Uh, but he's now come to the point where he has stated publicly the purpose of baptism so uh, still don't have the answer but it was not too long after this that uh, Alexander Campbell uh, was rebaptized. he wanted to be baptized for the remission of sin. Not simply because he was saved and then decided to be baptized. Okay? We'll talk a little bit about that next time, but what we're going to do is get into some of the pioneer preachers that were coming uh, uh, coming about right on the heels of the great work that Alexander Campbell did, Barton W. Stone did. We're going to talk a little bit about that great meeting where the church came together for the right purposes and took the name Church of Christ because they were the church for which Christ died. And we'll talk a little bit about those uh, 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 pioneer preachers, talk a little bit about some things that happened in Tennessee, a little closer to us, and then we'll close uh, uh, the book on this and we'll move <clears throat> move on to something else. We could. This is a topic that, you know, we could talk about it in real time, really, if we wanted to, you know, we don't have time for that. Any comments or questions? All right. If you're thinking about a topic <clears throat> that you would like to cover as we move past this, we may have a few more weeks with this, but not much. Uh, just let me know, and, and I'm happy to consider anything that uh, that you'd like to. All right. Thank you so much.